we're going to hear from Deborah about the Jesus we need to know this morning. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings life to us, that it inspires us, encourages us, teaches us more about the character and of, of our Father in heaven. And I pray for Deborah now. I pray for anointing of your spirit, that the words would be clear and that we would have hearts to hear and ears that are open. Lord, would you bring truths to mind for each of us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. As, um, as Rachel said, we continue our Jesus, the Jesus You Need to Know series. And um, looking at John's Gospel today, we're looking at John chapter 4. And I've asked Sarah and Miranda to come and read it to us because it's quite a long passage. Um, hopefully it will come on the screen. Maybe not. Um, great. Uh, and um, yeah, come up, come up and um, just... We've got a little like dramatic reading planned, I think. So reading from John 4. <clears throat> Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God who asks you for the drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given it to you, giving you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his own sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give then will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will all worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For, the, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. 
But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They went out of the town and made their way towards him. Then jumping to verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Give them a round of applause. Great reading. Um, yeah, just uh, let's just take a moment. Just before we, um, I start speaking. Let's just take a moment. Just this this, this divine encounter, this uh, of this uh, of Jesus with this woman. A little bit like Matt's divine encounter uh, with the restaurant owner this week, where he spoke into his life. Let, let's just have a think about this divine encounter for a moment. So, just encourage you to turn to the person next to you and. Um, yeah, just, just think about, it. is there anything that strikes you, uh, uh, anything you notice about this passage? You know, anything that confuses you or challenges or, or encourages or inspires you? So just for a moment, share um, something that you notice with the, the person next to you. Just a few more seconds. Fantastic. Well done. Hopefully, hopefully we're, I can't shut you up, can I? Um, hopefully we are a little bit more engaged with the passage now. Um, so, we're going to look at something of the context of, of this passage so we can understand it better. But also, I'm going to just spend a few minutes just looking at some of the things that challenged me, so that encouraged me or inspired me, all in the next 15 minutes. So hold on to your seats. Okay, so now, um, just to say, just to start with, um, each Thursday morning... I join a small team uh, from Higher Groove who go into our local secondary school um, to listen to the Year 7 pupils uh, read for an hour. And it's the absolute highlight of my week. I'm sure I've told everybody about it already. Um, but over time, you see the children, the young people, um, grow in confidence in their reading. And it just you can see them growing in confidence in themselves as well and in their 
in their, the rest of their schooling. But the other reason I really enjoy it is because I get to chat to the team. I get to chat to, to Richard and, um, and Charlie and Miriam and, um, and also Peter. And Peter is, uh, is a theology, theology lecturer, um, retired but still does a little bit. Um, and as I was chatting to him uh, this week, he, uh, he just said to me, I said that I was speaking on um, John chapter 4 this Sunday. And he said very mysteriously, he said, just remember... There were lots of instances of men meeting women at wells in the Old Testament. It's very mysterious. He was like, he was giving me that this little Bible clue um, on Thursday morning. And indeed, there are a number of stories of men meeting women at wells in the Old Testament. In the, in the book of Genesis particularly, the, right at the start of our Bibles, we read how Isaac first met Rebekah at a well, and then there was a, a wedding. And next, their son Jacob met uh, Rachel at a well, and then they married. And further on into the book of Exodus, Moses met Zipporah. Uh, at a well, and then they wed. The, the way these meetings were, were recorded in the Bible established a pattern to help, was, it was a purposeful thing, it was to help readers uh, or hearers of the, of the Bible back then to know what to expect next. You know, it's a, it's a technique that filmmakers use today. You, you know, if you're watching a scary movie and then the two characters decide to separate from one another, you know it's not going to end well, don't you? You know something's going to happen. It helps to build the suspense. And Or in a romance, there's a meeting between the two love interests. And, and you know, we, it helps us to know who we're trying to root for, um, uh, but this pattern, because it's so well established, it, it can be turned on its head to bring an element of surprise. So in, in that romantic film, it's actually the best friend that she's supposed to fall in love with. You know, it's the element of surprise. And, and the gospel writer, John, uses that same technique here. He, the first readers of John's gospel would heard about a woman. They'd be familiar with the Old Testament stories and they would hear uh, about a woman at a well and so be expecting a wedding. But John turns the pattern on its head. He's pointing to the readers to, towards a wedding, but it isn't going to be a wedding of a man and a woman. You know, as Ed said in, um, in the first talk in our, our series, uh, John is, is really focused on key messages and themes in his book. And everything is included in his gospel for a reason. So the details John then includes in this passage gives us, um, it highlights the, the massive political divide between Jews and Samaritans, as well as that big cultural divide. It says in verse 9, uh, in the message version, it says, Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. You know, there was, there was this political divide, this cultural divide between Samaritans and Jews. And then there was also this relational divide. You know, this, she was a lone woman in a public place. Now, most rabbis in that day wouldn't even speak to their wife in public. 
So speaking to a, a woman, a strange woman of a different culture was a, was a complete no-no. But as we read this passage in the, in the context of the whole of John's gospel and the whole of the Bible, we can see that the details John includes in this chapter because he wants to point us towards a future wedding, which he writes about in the book of Revelation. It's, a, it's when Jesus comes again and his bride, the church, will be united across all the political and cultural and social divides. Jesus had come to break those down. It says uh, in Galatians chapter 3, um, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is no, neither male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. You know, it's significant for us in a world where, where there's such division, where there's wars, there's racial and cultural tensions and where there's such disunity that we can be reminded again of of the work of Jesus in reconciliation that one day he will make all things right every tribe every language every nation will be united in that wedding and that's the hope that we have in Jesus that he's pointing towards so firstly, Jesus breaks down barriers. That's one of the first things we notice about this passage. Now, over the centuries, lots of people have made lots of assumptions about this woman. Some people speculated that she lured away those five uh, husbands from other women. But the Bible doesn't say that, and, and there's no mention of sin even. Jesus doesn't say anything about sin. So we don't know whether she'd been divorced or whether she'd been widowed five times. It's, it's quite likely. But we do know that in that culture, it was easy for a man to divorce a woman and almost impossible for a woman to divorce a man. And there would have been a stigma around any single woman, whether by divorce or death. So it's highly likely this woman would have been discriminated against. She would have been left vulnerable and marginalized by circumstances that were beyond her control. You know, as a, as a woman, I'm, I'm encouraged by the way that Jesus speaks to her, that the, the way that Jesus values her. Yeah, the woman at the well is the first person that Jesus reveals his identity uh, as the Messiah to. Similarly, the, the first person Jesus appears to when he's raised from the dead is Mary, a woman. You know, and that was at a time when women's testimonies didn't count in a court of law. I think it's amazing how Jesus subverts the norms and lifts women up, but not just women, anyone who was vulnerable, anyone who was outcast, unloved, or marginalized. Jesus invites them all to be part of his wedding banquet. And those of us who've accepted his invitation already, those of us who've chosen to follow Jesus, we've got a role in inviting others in, just like we have the opportunity at Alpha we're called to have the same heart for the, for the marginalized as Jesus, to break down those barriers, just like he did in this story. So let's just, just pause for a moment. 
Is there anything that God's challenging you about through Jesus' attitude to this woman? Anything he's wanting you to stop doing? Anything he's wanting you to start doing? Let's just pause for a moment. Ask him that question. And then wait to catch an answer from him. Jesus uh, looked beyond this woman's status and he saw her. He supernaturally knew information uh, about her life. He knew of her struggles and disappointments she, she faced. It, it, it reminds me of another story in, in the book of Genesis in, in chapter 15 where Hagar is a, is a slave a uh, slave woman who's forced uh, to become Abraham's concubine by his wife, Sarah. Once Hagar is pregnant, then Sarah starts to mistreat her. And, um, and so she runs away. And then God meets her in, in the desert place. And he speaks to her and he encourages her. And she calls God the one who sees me. God, Jesus is the one who sees us. Jesus sees each of us. We can know the one who sees us. We don't have a God who keeps us at arm's length, but who chose to be born as a fragile, helpless human baby into this messy, broken world so that he could understand our situations and our struggles so he could sympathize and empathize with us. You know, we're not alone. Even when it can feel that way, we're not alone. God sees and he understands because he's lived in a human body and he's dealt with the stigma and sadness and pain that we do. Now, in the same way that Jesus supernaturally uh, new things about the woman's life. We, he can supernaturally reveal things to us, like uh, that's a story that Matt uh, shared. He can speak through the Bible, making verses, uh, speak into the situations that we hear about when we, when we read them. Or he can speak through dreams or put words or thoughts in our head to help us. And a few um, months ago, someone shared a picture with me just like that. Uh, God had given them, when they were praying for me, God had given them a picture. It was a, a memory of something they'd seen on a walk. And they'd seen uh, a big field. They'd sort of gone past a f- fields and fields of bluebells. And, um, but then, further on the walk, they'd noticed one single bluebell sort of growing up in the middle of all the brambles. And uh, she, she felt like God was saying that he'd seen me. He'd seen me and my struggles. And he'd seen what I'd had to overcome. And it really encouraged me. It really encouraged me. I knew that God had seen me. And I think others need to take encouragement from that picture too this morning. I just wonder, I, I think God wants to let you know this morning that he sees you. He sees your struggles. He's seen how hard you've had to persevere. He's the God who sees you. I think maybe that's just a word for for someone or a few people this morning. So just receive that. Now, Jesus, uh, 
he might have been open to speaking to the woman. He, w- he was open, but I, I imagine the woman would have been wary of him. It, she would not have expected uh, for him to even notice her, never mind to speak to her. She might have been a bit suspicious of this Jewish man uh, who, who was talking to her. I think she would have had her guard up. But um, Jesus changed the power dynamic. Can we just have the next uh, slide? Verse 7 um, says, will you give me a drink? Jesus says, will you give me a drink? It says that the passage that Jesus was tired and he was probably thirsty. And he, he leaned into that vulnerability. He used his humanity and his thirst and his hunger to reach out to the woman. She was no longer the vulnerable one. Jesus empowered her by asking her for help. Um, and I just, I wonder, I wonder whether we, you know, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to push into our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities to make other people feel comfortable? Um, just a little story. Over Christmas, um, uh, our eldest son, Isaac, uh, his, his, um, his girlfriend and her family were driving through Bristol and they were going to call in to meet us. This was the first time we were going to meet uh, Isaac's uh, girlfriend's family. And it felt like a, you know, a big deal, a big deal, a pretty serious relationship. And it felt like a big deal. And um, so I, I had two, they were coming for lunch, so I had two things that I had to uh, decide. Firstly, I was going to have to decide what, what should we cook them? Um, you know, and, and the second, more important question was, what was I going to wear? <laughs> and um, my, to be honest, my first instinct was, uh, you know, what can I do to impress them? What can I, and I knew that wasn't going to happen with my cooking. Um, <laughs> So I was like, what, what can I wear that's going to impress them? And then I just had this little thought of, you don't, no, that's not the attitude. That's not the way. What can I wear that's going to make them feel comfortable? What am I, I going to do uh, that is going to make them feel uncomfortable? Not that I'm going to impress anybody, but um, how am I going to just uh, yeah, make them feel comfortable? And so let's just for a moment... Um, just think about how willing are we to make ourselves vulnerable in order to connect with other people? You know, what, what of our weaknesses are we willing to share? How are we willing to, to look less good so that others can feel more comfortable? Are we willing to accept help so that we can empower other people? What stories of, of our lives are we willing to tell others. Let's just pause for a moment again and and just reflect. Right at the end of um, this section, the people of the town say to the woman, they say, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Every one of us needs our own encounters with Jesus. But we can't make that for other people. We can't, uh, we can't manufacture that for other people, no matter how much we'd like to. 
Salvation is a spiritual activity. Only God can work and move and reveal himself to each person. But I think there are ways that we can partner with God in that process. And I think there's two things, two main things that we can do uh, to, to partner with God. It's pretty simple. Firstly, it's pray. We pray. We recognize that, uh, that it's only Jesus who can reveal himself. And two, we choose to have faith, an expectation that God will work. Just if we go into the next slide. Um, you know, Jesus had an expectation that God was going to speak to him. Do we have that same expectation that God is going to speak to us? I think we want to be a church who encounters the Holy Spirit, don't we? we where it's expected, it's anticipated that the Holy Spirit will meet us on a Sunday morning, but also throughout the week as well. That we might be open to those divine appointments where we get to share about Jesus to a stranger. Or open to the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the Bible passage we're reading that morning to encourage our, to, to, to encourage our work colleagues. Or through dreams or words or, or pictures in our mind that we can share with our friends. You know, as a, as a church, I, I think we want to be challenged by that. I think we, we, want, we don't want to miss out on what the Holy Spirit is doing. I shared um, this the other evening at our, our prayer and worship evening during prayer week. And um, that I'm feeling stirred to pray big prayers of faith right now. You know, I'm choosing to believe that God can do not just the unlikely but the impossible. Yeah. Now, um, in, in two Sundays' time, today we're doing John chapter 4. In two Sundays' time, we're going to do John chapter 6. I think the Mass uh, speaks for itself. And, um, but spoiler alert, okay? On that day, we're going to be learning that Jesus fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. And then he walked on water. I'm sorry if that spoils the story for anybody. Um, but those miracles show us that Jesus can do the impossible. The things that deny logic or the laws of nature. And, you know, I think we, we want to we believe, we want to know, we want to put our faith in God. That he can answer our impossible prayers too. So we're going to take just a, a few moments now to, to respond. So I'm just going to invite Ed and the, the worship team back on the stage. And uh, if you're able to, I, I just invite you to stand with me. And I'd like to challenge you this morning. I'd like to challenge you to commit to praying for an impossible situation. Maybe something, an impossible situation pops into your head right now. Perhaps you know someone who needs Jesus to bring healing to their bodies in a miraculous uh, way. Maybe there's a particular friend or family member who it seems completely impossible that they might meet Jesus. So let's just take a moment now to ask God to do the impossible in those impossible situations.
we say, we, we call out to you, Lord. We call out for you to do what only you can do. Help us to believe for the impossible. Will you raise our faith levels to believe for the impossible? I want to pray for anybody here who, who needs to know that you see them this morning. Pray, Lord, that they might know that they are loved and seen and valued by you. And Lord, we, we pray that you'll speak to us, that you'll work in us, you'll work through us to be a blessing to the people around us. Lord, just stir those spiritual gifts in each of us. Amen. Amen.